Hey everyone, and welcome to the Firecracker Department. I'm Naomi Sneekus. Welcome back to another week, another episode. How has your week been? What's been happening? What you been doing? This episode of the Firecracker Department podcast is sponsored by, yeah, we have sponsors. This is sponsored by the web series 1001 Ways to Wonder, hosted by Nature of Things documentarian Bryce Sage. Now this series explores and demystifies the science of mental health. I've been sent a little bit of a sneak peek of 1001 Ways to Wonder, and I learned a lot about not only how the mind works, but how emotions work too. It was really enjoyable. It also felt therapeutic. So full package. The series dives headfirst into mental health issues, which affects one in five Canadians. This series launches Monday, May 1st, which is the beginning of Mental Health Week. So go to YouTube and subscribe to 1000 Ways to Wonder and get answers to mental health questions that you have in your brain and maybe are too afraid to ask. Let's get answers to all these questions. 1001 Ways to Wonder is available now on YouTube. So get on over there and subscribe. Tell me what you think about it when you watch it. All right, off you go now. Uh, I was thinking about what I have been inspired by this week. And I'll tell you a couple of things. Um, one is I'm inspired by audience members. We're doing a couple of uh, improvised shows here in Los Angeles at the um, IO West and at Impro Theater. And typically in improv, you talk to the audience and you get people to give you input for your show. And with our shows, because they have more of a theatrical bent, we end up asking people to give us a little bit about what's going on in their heart, like what's making their heart sing or breaking their heart or what's going on in their community that's driving them crazy. And so we get like quite personal with these strangers. And I'm so inspired by strangers sort of opening their heart up to us and telling us a little bit about what's going on in their world. It's quite, I don't know, it's quite an honor. It's quite an honor to be on the receiving end of that. Uh, we did one show once when one of our audience members confessed that um, they just found out that they were cancer free and there was this big eruption of applause through the audience and that was really cool. Another audience member told us about how she's going through this breakup and then the audience got involved and was saying like that the guy that had broken up with her was a jerk and people were cheering for her and so there's something really magical about an improv show where everybody gets involved because I do feel that the show represents the DNA of the day like the show happens and is what it is because of the people in the room so if it's a really boisterous audience and really crazy, the show's gonna be crazy. And if it's a really like thoughtful audience, it becomes a more thoughtful show. It's, it's quite magical. So audience members, you inspire me. Here's another inspiration. I have a friend named Laura Johnson, who's an artist, and she does incredible art. You can go check out her work on larajohnsonart.com. But uh, she just does the, these pieces that are so full of heart and passion. And, you know, they're, they just jump off the canvas. She used to do improvised art when we did a show in Toronto called the Carnegie Hall Show. And this was an improv show that we did first at a little theater called the Red and Circus in Kensington Market. And then we did it next uh, at the Underground Drake. 
And she would come uh, every show and set up her paints and everything else and then do improvised art based on something that we were improvising. And they were always like super cool pieces of art. Um, we ended up auctioning off the art pieces every show. And uh, I don't know, it was great. I, I would love to do something like that with her again because she's a really funny and smart and creative person and it comes out in her art. You have to go check it out, larajohnsonart.com. Uh, I think the last thing that she was working on was a Gord Downey piece, and uh, she was posting the progress of it on Facebook, and I just love it. She did another one of um, Ghostbusters with Bill Murray, and it was incredible. Uh, yeah, go check her out. You'll be equally as inspired as I am. Now on to our guest this week, Diane Flax. Now. You may know Diane Flax in so many different capacities. You may know her as a writer. You may know her as an actress, as a TV writer, as a TV actress. She's as a mom, as a speaker. She's so amazing. I feel like she wakes up in the morning and goes, hmm, what shall I create today? And then just sets about her day being creative in one of the various ways that she is creative. Uh, I love her. You know, she's somebody that I've known of for so long and uh, so when she came in she sat down and again like it feels like we've known each other forever um, and I guess we have just through the community but every once in a while like I'll turn up at one of her shows or she'll turn up at one of my shows and she's just so beautiful she's such a beautiful person inside and out and she's so supportive and that heart that she has with the sense of humor that she has comes out in everything she does. Like she used to write for Kids in the Hall and she writes um, theater of course and now she's um, writing for TV but honestly she's one of those people that can do anything and it feels like she does everything beautifully. Alright, she came in and we had a great chat. We drank a little bit of wine, we put up our feet and uh, I think you're gonna enjoy it. Let me know what you think after listening to it. Uh, here she is, Diane Flax. No, I think it's amazing. Like, I'm, I'm curious about how, because when I first learned about you, you were uh, an actress that wrote. Yes. Which was also quite, quite groundbreaking right. in those days yeah. to have actresses that went, I'm going to also write my own stuff. Yeah. Um, but where did, like, where did you get that impetus? Because, I'll tell you, so when I graduated from theater school, mm -hmm. it was like... Where did you go to theater school? I went to York. Yeah. I survived York. I like to yeah, say. yeah. Bless. There's a lot of York survivors. Yes, yeah. yes. And and I kind of I was such a sort of least likely to there, like a real outsidey person. <laughs> Who, and, but from whose perspective? Oh, from everyone's. No, no, really, from everyone's. From everyone's, I was fully like the, a skin in my teeth. There. Really? Yeah. And 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 I, it says a lot about me that despite knowing that they didn't really want me there, I stayed. This is a pattern. Yeah. Which I'm breaking. I now. love it though. But yeah. So Put I your elbows up and you go. <laughs> That's right, you know, like like the if the guy who is chop his own arm off, mm -hmm. right, he would be like clinging, oh, clinging to yeah. the sides of the thing. Don't fall all the way down. Oh but yeah, the guy in the in, yeah. This is me. So I I stayed, and then I when I graduated, I um, realized that despite being sort of a least likely to kind of heady cerebral woman, I the only auditions I was going out for was like cheesecake kind of things. Yeah. But and you're not a cheesecake so girl, not. like which I love. Like every clip that I see, you're so just you. 
Like, whatever has happened in your past to let you be who you are, oh, that's it's really worked. interesting because if my whole thing was, I have no idea who I am. Isn't that wild? But yeah. it just feels like, well, at whatever moment, right? Mm-hmm. We keep right. changing, that's right. too. That's right. Okay, so go on. So, so there I am auditioning for this Coca-Cola commercial. Love it. In a bikini? Well, no. This is the thing. We're all supposed to... You hit it on the head because we're all supposed to pretend that we're at a pool party. Right? (laughs) We're supposed to pretend we're at a pool party and that we were like waving, literally, to the guys across the pool. And there were all these young women who probably had big brains. Sure. Standing around in this commercial audition. And I was such an asshole. I was like waving to imaginary men going, It's Sheldon Cornped! Shelly, it's it's Jaime Fickle. Hi, me. He dropped his speak. He's got a. You don't drop the coke on the booby. Like I was the biggest asshole, literally. And it wasn't that I wanted to be contrary. It was I was so uncomfortable. Right. And so I sort of realized I am never going to get any work because they see me. I'm 22, 23 years old. Mm -hmm. 22. Yeah. And thinking that I'm who I am. Had you come out yet? No. Ah. But I was thinking, I'm a smart woman. I'm a brain in the vessel. That's how I thought of myself. So, but I'm only being seen as an ingenue kind of woman. And yeah. it's now I get it. Because now I look at women who are 22. And I go, no matter what you think of yourself, the world sees you as a dewy young thing. Right. And that's where they want to put you. So you are, you have to, if you want to work, do work that's meaningful, you're going to have to create it yourself. Right. And so... Wait, I, say that again. That's really good. I don't know if I was ever a dewy young thing, but... But because there's a youth umbrella over top. Because we love and embrace and worship youth and right. are so afraid of death. Right. Rightly so, I guess. You can die when you're young. But still, like, women's beauty, women's youth and beauty. Yeah. Youth equals beauty to such a degree. Yeah. That even if you don't think you are that, that's where they're going to, that's what you're going to be sent, the meat grinder that you're going to be sent into. Yeah. So, so you have to create your own work. You do so that you can do something that's meaningful. And you learned that at 22? I was so it was I was smacked in the face with it. I, yeah, it was because so of that Coca Cola, <laughs> Coca Cola commercial, then everything that I was going out for, yeah. and I was such a raging feminist anyway. Yeah, that I just went, I can't, I can't, and I wasn't going to get any work. I was never going to be hired. Right, because I couldn't. You weren't working. Really, I you weren't really booking anything. Little bits of things, but theater. But yeah. I couldn't do any film and TV because I was clearly not able to access any truth in auditions because right. it wasn't. It was so. So not me. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't fake it. Yeah. It's like the phrase, truth will set you free. It's such a, it's such a hallmark phrase at this point, yeah. but it's so true. Yeah. Like, I so believe it. Yeah. Like, people who have, like, secrets or have things they aren't confessing to themselves or their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And you do, do you think you do that in work? Uh, do you think I do? Yeah. What, like... Do you think be, you're constantly confessing truth? Uh, I think... I, yeah, I think with improv, you have to. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's... Well, that's not true. I think it, it, with improv, you, it's your go, my go-to. So if a moment isn't working on stage, I get super truthful. I find what you do... I'm just going to say this, and I know you don't want me to talk about you, but I find what you do to be astounding. That's lovely. It is astounding to me. It's not something... No, don't edit it out. <laughs> because it's not... I, I, I always am so admiring of things that I see people do where I go, I don't know. Fuck, you but did you it. do that. Oh, that's awesome. Because I not see the you way, do that. Not the what you do. Like what you do is so specific and so perfect, wow. and it's really extraordinary. That's and lovely. I love it. And I think I don't know. Donate it out because I think women need to em- embrace what they do, what each other's doing. Oh, and appreciate, I'm proud. You know? I'm super proud, and I I know I'm I love my job. Like I I'm very lucky. Yeah. So I don't uh, deny that I've worked for where I'm at. But going back to you, so you were at York and you were finished York and you weren't booking things, so you said, I have to start writing. Yeah. Who taught you to be a raging feminist? 
in your words? My mother. Yeah? Who what was? She, what was she? What did she do? She t- did kind of a mixture. She started her own business that was kind of a mixture of tutoring and therapy. And I'm going to say control freakedness now that I look back on <laughs> That it. was not on her business card? It's or, pretty uh, much you would look at the business card and you go, yes. Right? I want this person to help my kid. And she'd be like, and please, can I have that business card back? Like, <laughs> control that. <laughs> um, and and sh- But she was very uh, outspoken mm-hmm. about all of her opinions. And still is. Um, and that for sure was a big one for her. That was, yeah. If there was anything that really pushed her buttons besides, like now she's a one-issue Jewish voter, Israel voter. Okay. But right. then it was it was really, and she was in the thick of it, right? Like she was an immigrant to this country. Yeah. She came in like 19, I'm going to say 50 maybe? From? From Siberia via Germany via po- like Poland, yeah. Siberia, Germany yeah. in the war. That's the survived my, it. My parent or my father too yeah. did that. Not oh, yes. from Siberia, but from Lithuania. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, shit. same sort of yeah. thing through Germany to Calgary. So, mur, mur. Mur, but mur. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so did your and how was your father and mother's relationship with her strength of feminism? I think when I look back on it now, I think he he was pretty great. Yeah, because he did. We did all have to do equal chores. Yeah. There was no you know sense of boy and girl like in in that way like yeah. he did support it 100 percent. so so then when you left that cocoon of boy and girl equal equality did that slap you in the face well it did i mean i'm sure it did for all of us right like even i went to high school i went to hebrew school yeah and i and as much as carol silverman and wendy zealer were like the top of the class because they were so smart and mm-hmm. cute mm-hmm. um th- as equal as the boys but uh you are being taught that in the Talmud it says if a woman is raped, she has to marry her rapist. Right. And really interesting to me now is that some of the interpretations are that if a woman is raped in that culture in that time, knowing that the Bible was not written by God. Right. You understand that culturally a woman would have been thrown away and any kid that she had would have been thrown away. So the idea is the community embraces her. Yeah. Nobody said that to me. What they said is right. you don't understand because we can't understand God. And it was, it was so enraging to me. That so they thought you just need to understand God further. You just need so to accept can, it and shut up. Yeah, and there yeah. were many times where I just kept getting, as my my fourteen year old son would say, triggered. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Mama, you're triggering me right now." Um, that I well, would get really triggered, and and, and uh, but it, but I'm so glad I was. I would yeah. get outraged in school, and then I did see it in theater school. I did see that there were like, uh, you know, what four times as many women as men. Yeah, and the the standard was very different. Right, and. How did you deal with that? Oh, God. Like, you didn't sit back and go, well, that's just the way it is. Yeah, but, you know, if, did you go to theater school? Mm-hmm, so yeah, you know the, that it's like, it's all about trying to stay in. It's all about trying to... I gave up on that did early. You? Like, I just went, I'm just in. Yeah. I'm just not going to... See, that wasn't the setup at York, though, because no, you took no. 110 people and you end up with 11. We started at 40-something and ended up in 12. So, But I just decided, like, yeah, at the beginning, I'm like, F it, I'm not going to have that fear because mm. I don't think I'm going to be creative with fear behind oh, it. So you're so smart. So, well, I mean, it's a journey, but <laughs> yeah. So so then you were just sort of fighting for your life, basically. Yeah, you, it so wasn't so much man and woman as much as fighting for your And I was kind of realizing my sexuality and not yeah. telling anyone in the closet and all, all this stuff. Oh my God. Um, but uh, once I got out, it was, you know, every woman, I think all these young women who, when they get out in the world, they just go, what? Yeah. It's, ah. Yeah. So did you find that when you, like, when was the biggest slap in the face where you went, oh, I've got to step up as a, as a woman and as a Diane Flax? Mm. Uh, I think, it, you know, for me, it, 
was the early days of trying to get work mm -hmm. and realizing the kind of work that I might have to take and realizing the kind of writing that was the idea of, you know, the woman's job in a script is to forward the action of the man. Right. And starting to see to right. really see that. And then as a writer, writing things and, and having women read them and go, oh, that, oh, oh. Yeah. And watching that sort of dancing backwards in heels. Yeah. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Fantastic, thing. yeah. And, and, and it was pretty quick. There was no hesitation once. And the other thing is once, so I two of the women who I were in, was in theater school with mm -hmm. me formed this comp company. Oh, yeah. This feminist theater company called Empress Productions. Okay. And we started writing plays. Yeah. And the response was fucking insane. Huge, yeah. Because we did this funny, outrageous, irreverent, really provocative, very sexy feminist stuff. Because we were we were fierce, yeah, and no apologies, and yeah. the response in the Toronto theater community was instantaneous. Yeah, we were like embraced. Yeah, we started doing shows. We we did all the fringes. We you know had a ton of attention. Yeah, and feedback, and it was a desperate thirst for people. Yeah, and that kind of made me go, well, I've you know the, the, the sort of the negative thing that you're running away from, and then the positive thing you're running to. Yeah, I feel like you you're sort of you rode that. Like I yeah. feel like you you've been riding. Um, a necessity in art like oh. you you've given some sort of art to the community and the art community's going yes thank you with like gay and lesbian stuff yeah. and as a parent a gay parent yeah. as well like it feels like you're breaking a lot of ground all the time but you know what i'm sure you feel this way too that when you're on stage and you're doing something and you can feel them going thank you yeah thank you for saying that thank you for saying that yeah that's what i'm thinking or that's what i didn't want to think so that happened before you came out though you were just for sure but you know what's what I realized is that my work got exponentially, in my opinion, better. Although I don't know if the press would agree. <laughs> and once I came out, because then you're just you're just hiding and lying so much. Yeah. You're so hidden from yourself that it's it's not just I want to talk about. Yeah, you can. You know, licking pussy, which I don't <laughs> want to talk about because it's not. It's very private. I like how even it's if you said it softly, private, I can't do it. I could do it on stage, no. but like yeah. I, I could I easily like, her. yeah. But uh, but you know, it's not that. It's just it's just everything was so. Uh, your voice is is as yeah. much as your voice is in reaction to or outraged because of right. The real, the true, sad kind of personal voice is being hidden because you can't be yourself. It's not just. Uh, um, why do you have to talk? I don't talk about my boyfriend. Why do you have to talk about your? It's not that. It's just right. who you are. Right. They say write what you know. Right. And if you don't know what you know, so you're writing bullshit. Yeah. Right. right. My boyfriend. <laughs> and then you're also. Did you write? Did you write about your boyfriend? Oh, for sure. Oh, I wrote about like in my second solo show by Thread. It was, yeah. She. She was. I mean, listen. It was a character, and she was straight. She was clearly straight. Yeah. But horribly tortured about it. Right. About love and, and connection with people, and it wasn't because of her sexuality, but I chose to have her tortured because I couldn't write about it. Right, right, so right. I didn't right. know. So what you did it write is. what you knew. Yeah, yeah. In a way. But did you, um, like, what did it, what, why did it take you so long to, to come out? Yeah. <laughs> is that a typical question? <laughs> Do you know what Bruce Macaulay said about me? You know this? Story? I did see this, yeah. yeah. I can tell it's a good quote. It's a good quote. He said, uh, even her headshot knew before her yeah. that she was gay. Yeah. Which I find the fucking hilarious. Well, I mean, we, you can't really hide uh, that. You can't really hide that. Or you I can't hide. I was hiding it. Or like love, right? You can't hide love. But I, th I really thought right. I was kind of. Also, I really am. A, I love men. Yeah. I have had the most wonderful friends. You have an amazing men. team of men around yeah, you. Yeah. My, my two. My two um, 
uh, uh, brother brother husbands. Yeah. My two sort of boyfriends. Yeah. Are Richard Greenblatt and Bruce McCullough. Yeah. And they're like my two. Richard's my brother, of course. Uh, and and Bruce and I, like we, they're my dearest friends. Yeah. No, they're and I've always had great men in my life. Your that, sons. That I adore my sons, yeah. of course. Are like you tremendous. had two sons, so I it's know. amazing. Best thing. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I don't have an. So I. Uh, th- so before I came out, I, I had great men in my life who I was attracted to. Yeah. But I just couldn't close the deal. Tell me. <laughs> what do you think it was then? Do you think? But you knew. You knew why you couldn't. I I knew. Or didn't you? I think I, what I had to do is in, in a way embrace the positive. So right. I was trying so hard to figure out why it was that I couldn't connect with men, and couldn't couldn't take that step to fall in love with a man, even though I loved them. Yeah. Loved them. Had great men around me. Yeah. And I actually, just adored and then i thought okay so finally a friend of mine was getting married and in fact we'd had an affair in theater school mm-hmm. and she was getting married and i was looking through journals because i was going to do a speech at a wedding mm-hmm. like an asshole mm-hmm. <laughs> like a martyr fucking no. asshole and so i'm looking through my old journals and i'm seeing from the time i was so young i really love l period oh. i want to kiss t and going Oh, well, if I wanted to look at this, I really could, but I'm yeah. going to shove that in right. the drawer for later. Right. Um, and then it was like I woke up instantly. But was it just too much for you to recognize? Like I just didn't want to be gay. Why I didn't not? want to be because it was it was terrifying at that time. Yeah. I was afraid it was going to affect my career, my friends, my family. And of course it, do- it does. It, yeah, but in the best way possible. But in a great way. Like, and even if it's in a negative way, it doesn't matter. Right. Right, because you're living your actual life. Way better than a yeah. burgeoning career. So what I decided to do was I went, okay, so now I've read all this stuff. And now two days later, I realized, oh, my God. And I told the guy who was my dearest friend at the time, and I was starting to sort of see um, what I was feeling. And he was so kind to me. Yeah. And he just held me on the couch and hugged me. And then the next day I went out to with a woman who was gay and we went to a club. And then I met my first girlfriend. And that was it. Wow. And then... And your parents, what, what, what was their reaction? You know, I think my mother had a harder time at first. Yeah. My dad was like, you got a good head on your shoulders. But yeah. I think my dad had a harder time once I was pregnant. I don't know why. Yeah. But then as soon as my son was born, he was like, great. Yeah. But it's like you have broken ground. Like mm-hmm. the, your, the, the definition of family is so loose now because of people like you in the most positive way possible. I think it's a bit of being a bit like a tank. Like a bit lunk-headed and refusing to see, like to see the obstacles, but then try and find a, really to see a bit of half, glass half full and mm-hmm. that I'm going to do this. And this is something that I know you do, because mm. I recognize it in, when I watch you on stage. Okay. Is that you're a person first. You're not coming on stage as a woman. You're a person. Oh, yeah. And you're saying something. Yeah. And my whole mission statement. Yeah. Was always to go on stage and be a person and disarm people. So, and, and make them laugh. Yeah. And, like, a love and be provoked by me. Yeah. And have to accept what I'm saying. Yeah. Because they're laughing. They yeah. have to accept it. They're laughing. I've made them laugh. So they're, then they can accept that I'm yeah. a woman. And a woman is a person, you know? Do you know what I mean? Like, do, you, I do. Because I, I think that people um, say a lot, like, oh, she's, what a talented female comedian. Or what a talented female actress. I'm, just say I'm like, why not just be like, and she's a talented comedian. That happens to be a female. Like, Well, and the you in commercials. Yeah. I talk to my son about this all the time. When you're listening to a car commercial and it's all you. You, you, you will right. look great in this car with your wife. You and your wife. You and your girlfriend. Who's you? Right. Why can't I be you? Right. You know, yeah, it's just yeah. the way we're, it's just our alignment. 
But now, did you feel like you had that, you, you, mm -hmm. you had that challenge through your career? Like, you, were you the only female writer for Kids in the Hole? Mm -hmm. And was that ever an issue in that room? Not for I me. I can't imagine it being. No, not at all. Those guys were amazing. Yeah. I never felt it. I have in other rooms, yeah. but I, I never felt it with them. So how did you battle it in the other rooms? I think it's partly being really in people's face yeah. about it, like really kind of, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, like but it's fun. No, just as, uh, as um, blue as anyone else, as sexual, as hard, mm -hmm. you know, and as soft and also nice. Like you, mm -hmm. like you, you kind of have to be But is everything. that your sense of humor going blue? Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like it's not mine yeah. and I'm not going to match a male right. blue jokes just to be blue. Like yeah. it's just not my sense of humor. So... But you're saying match it because that's where you can match it. Because it makes me laugh. Like yeah. if, if somebody yeah. is going somewhere, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna not go there. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're gonna bring something into the room, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with you in to that place. Yeah. Unless it offends me, and then I'll say it offends me. Yeah. You know, I remember being in a bookstore, and and it's a different analogy, but it's 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 applicable. And I heard these two guys talking, and one guy was like, um, uh, something. They were saying something really, really anti-Semitic, and I said, you know what the thing is about Jews. And the guy goes, what? And I go, you never know when one's in the room. Right. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I just stared at him and took click, 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 click. And he just got so embarrassed. That's and a it great. was sort of a great analogy for what I try to do. Mm -hmm. You, It's not shaming people, but it's like you can't Awareness. do it if I'm right here. Yeah. I exist. I have density in math. I am right here. Yeah. So it's not that I'm allowing anyone to say anything about women that's degrading. I'm just going... I'm with you. I'm a person like you, and it kind of makes people raise their game in a little, in a little bit. Yeah, I think I think also not everybody's aware. Like he, that anti-Semitic guy might be like, it's cool to talk like that, right? And you're just going, just so you know, not cool. Well, I did chew him down on the book. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, I know. no, I'm sure, but they don't know. Like I, I remember being in theater school, and a, and, a, and a girl I was working with said, um, I thought all the Jews were dead. I was like, well, they tried. What? It's a tough one. I remember doing a radio interview and. Dan Redekin was on the panel with me, who I love so much. And the woman was asking, the, the, the woman who sh had the show was asking these kind of, I thought, quite sexist questions. And then finally, I, I, I said something hard-edged yeah. about it. And Do you she remember said, any of the questions? I don't remember, but it was some, it was, I just remember saying, because sometimes men can be assholes. And she, she went, hey, 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 Dan is here. I don't think it's really fair to him. And Dan was like, actually, I agree with Dan. <laughs> fine. She's not trying to. And, uh. And I just remember thinking, wow, we've so, we've so far to come. Yeah. If we can't even say that. Right. Yeah. So you're not supposed to get hysterical, right? You're not supposed to get angry, angry. You can be funny, angry. Right. You can be pointed and provocative and cutting, angry, but not actually angry. Right. And that's when women lose it and I lose it. And have you, because you've seen the change, like, because yeah. you've been in the industry for long enough to be able years. to see. Well, I mean, you've gone through so many different departments too. Mm -hmm. Like you were an actress first would you mm -hmm. say then became a writer mm -hmm. but then you did tv and film and still like i'm astounded with how you're able to balance all the different things that you but do don't you think it's what you have to do in this country um i do i think it's what folks like you and i have to do right. like my i'm i'm my patience isn't great so i need to do a bunch of things so i'm not waiting around yeah but i think as you said like you have to create your own work so that you're responsible and you're in charge of your own mm -hmm. stuff so mm -hmm. i said somebody like if you ever want to be busy just start your own company mm -hmm. and you'll always have something to do whether it's creating a website or mm -hmm. writing a play or producing a show you'll always be busy 
did you start all those different tentacles in order to be busy or did you just did they just come to you you know what i think i just wanted to be an actor and i yeah. just wanted to work yeah and when it wasn't happening i realized i have to start writing i have to or i won't work mm -hmm. and then once i started writing i think in a way people i do this now when i cast plays and i look at actors and i go do i want a thoroughbred or do i want somebody who's going to challenge me mm. on the script and so like when you're casting you mean? Yeah, yeah. Like sometimes now I see the way that people looked at me. I used to think, so now I started writing and now I'm not getting cast as an actor because people don't see me as an actor anymore. They see me as an act a writer actor. Right. And they don't want to work with that. Really? Right or, now? These days? This, I think when I was younger. Oh. And I started to realize I got like all I wanted to do was act and when it wasn't happening in, in the way I wanted to or I couldn't make it happen, I started to write. And yeah. then once I started to write, I was seen as a writer actor and that kind of was a bit of an impediment to being cast as an actor, I believed. Mm -hmm. And now I see that it was the best thing I could have done. Yeah. And I'm so glad. And the people who want to work with me do want me to also contribute in a kind of creative, writerly way. Mm -hmm. oh, and, and even if they resent it, they want it. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. really can't help it. Yeah. But then sometimes when I'm casting something, I think I want to work with that person who gets it and has so many ideas, like in the play I'm writing now. Mm -hmm. But in other sh shows, I think... I want that thoroughbred, pure racehorse of an actor, that Olympian who who just inhabits it and doesn't want to write it. You know, who, who just is that purely actor, actor, yeah. that artist. Yeah. And I really respect it. And I get why people didn't cast me. Right. <laughs> I can see my own limitations. But now it feels like it's gone to the other side because you are, you mean you did um, Diary of a serial monogamous yeah, yeah, yeah. and like that you, did, you didn't write on that at all did you i didn't and there's and i'm always grateful when i can just be cast in something yeah. but i also know that i have to do i'm always grateful when that can happen but I'm, i've made my peace with that wasn't the way things went right as an actor like i went to a play i had this sort of sliding door moment where i had a callback for stratford yeah and in fact i did a piece that i wrote as a callback this this take on ophelia that I, that I did about ophelia doesn't fall she doesn't jump she falls because she's distracted because she knows about everything that's going on in denmark and right. no one's asked her fucking opinion right so love she it. just is distracted I love and she's that. like to be or not to be how is this a question right yeah and so she falls so i did this piece anyway i get this call back for, to stratford at the same time as I, i'm offered to write on kids in the hall right and i was in the tarragon season and then i got mono but anyway i had this sort of oh thing God. of like what are you gonna do all you wanted to do is act and you right. have this potential to do it or this thing yeah and i chose that thing and i feel like it, you know it was a real pivotal moment for yeah me. and i think in, in a lot of ways it just al allowed me to have more avenues to express myself yeah do you have any regrets about that choice no what would have happened if you chose stratford uh well i would have been a jew at stratford <laughs> and, uh, who the knows one. who knows if i even would have got it right i could right you that's know. true too and you're right, Kids in the Hall opened up. I mean, you also performed on Kids in the Hall. I did, yeah. Didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So did that? Did you feel like that launched you into a whole other world of TV and film? Like, did you... You didn't have any training in writing for... No. No, or sketch. Like, yeah. It was a complete outside choice. They yeah. chose me, and I understand now why they did it. And I, I think they just wanted why? something different. Oh, yeah. You know? I get it. Yeah. And, um, and, and then it just allowed me to think about things in a different way. Yeah. For sure. It's wild, because it, I think that you're right, that we do start spinning plates of different um, tasks or creative outlets so that we can keep creative. But my, my vision is I'm always like, I want to act primarily. Right. So when I see that you're writing for like Working Moms mm -hmm. or like Baroness and things like that, which is fantastic, do you ever 
Do you ever miss acting? For sure. So how do you shut that valve off so that you can be a writer? It's interesting because sometimes I just don't want to act. Really? Like they, I've had opportunities and, and in fact the show that I'm doing writing right now that's going to be Buddies, I, I didn't want to act in the part yeah. that I am doing. Why not? Because I want to write it and I really want to see other people do it. Right. I was do really excited Do you feel like you it. couldn't act in something you, that this piece that you wrote? Like do you feel like it was too close? I, well, it might end up being too close mm-hmm. in the end, but uh, I guess we'll have to see. But I, 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 I really just wanted to, I needed to be outside of it in order to try and find a way to fix it. Yeah. And now I'm going to do it and I'm, I don't, we'll see. Fix the play? Yeah. yeah oh, right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Did you have that same feeling with Waiting Room? <clears throat> oh, for sure. The, there was one part that I could have played in Waiting Room yeah. and I was like, I don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's too hard. Yeah. It's just to live through that. Oh, no, thank <clears throat> you. So now with the play at Buddies, same sort of thing. You feel like you're, you want to have a distance from it. I did, and then I was asked to do it by the producers. And um, it was like, come on, you have to do it, you idiot. Yeah, and? And so now I'm doing it. Oh. We'll, see. <laughs> we'll see if it works. If that was a bad choice. But maybe that's a good way of writing it, right? Like, so you write it without um, knowing that you're going to say the words, which I think... Which is fun. Probably more fun. But you're not playing as many characters as you usually... I know. Do you miss that? It's funny how it's changed. Yeah. Like, all I wanted to do was play anything but myself. Yeah. And go into every possible character and, and deeply, yeah. deeply inhabit them. And, and I now, would. I felt like I would just lose myself completely yeah. and transform. And I remember um, Dean Gilmore from Theater mm-hmm. Smith Gilmore came and saw my first solo show. And he said to me, you're so good was at the masks. Then? No, it was with me. Mm. He said, you're so good at the masks, but I'm more interested in who you were in the two minutes before you started the show. When you do a discussion too. Yeah, I just started with the audience and right. talked about, you know, the little fucking bird in the book who yeah. says, are yeah. you my mother? Yeah. Are you my mother? Yes, I do. To a, to a crane, yeah. you know, a backhoe. Yeah. And to, to like a dog. Yeah. That's, that's sad. That's what that, <laughs> oh how sad is I that? I grew up with that book. Right? Yeah. And just, I started talking about that book and how we as women don't have necessarily such a strong sense of identity. Mm-hmm. So are you my mother? So so then I would so then I went into the play and I did eight different characters in a row from one character to the next and then came back at the end to me and he said I was like, aren't you so impressed with the characters <laughs> like, that I did? Work. Yeah. And he was more impressed with the two minutes of just me talking to the audience. Yeah. And he's like, that's when you weren't hiding, and it ne- I never uh, left me mm-hmm. because and I guess there was a point in my life where I just didn't wasn't as able to disappear. And, and maybe don't want to as much, mm-hmm. you know. So why do you think women f- struggle so much with their identity so much? Like, you haven't. It feels like you've... It's my whole struggle. But no, like, life. once you've claimed it, it feels like it... it I can claim it on stage. Uh, and I can nail it down. But it's very hard to hold on to for me. Why do you think that is? I just feel like it may be very much to do with me and who I am. But I also feel like there's some, there is some political thing thing at work. There's some structural sociological thing at work where we don't have, especially maybe now women do, have more legitimate, truthful feeling, authentic. Like a Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. Sure. Great. Yeah. Amazing. If I was a sporty little girl, I would be looking at her and going, yeah. But I, 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 I don't, I don't, I, I feel like maybe there are so many strong myths of what women are supposed yeah. to be. And I didn't feel like I was could achieve any of that so i just didn't feel a lot of the times like i knew who i was and i didn't you know what i mean like yeah i, I do it's, it's so a bit wild. murky it's a bit cheesecloth not at all because but i just think it's so well because from the outside we all always look different obviously 
But so from the outside, I'm like, powerhouse, sure, maybe everybody struggles with identity. But to me, like you, you have such confidence in your work. So you're faking it really well. I think or, I, I grab on, yes. Yeah. But I think more I grab on to something that I need to say. And, only, and this is something I've had to do. And I think you probably have this too, is that you're, you're so vulnerable, actually, that when I'm on stage and saying something, I really have to want to say it. Yeah. And I really have to want to write it. It has to be about something. Yeah. I, or I can't do it. Or I do badly. Where did you get strength from to do that? I don't know. Maybe outrage? Yeah. Rage yeah. and outrage, maybe. But did somebody inspire you to be like, you got to take that rage and put it on paper? I don't know if it wasn't just a sense of, I'm going to go nuts if I don't. Because you know? a lot of people feel rage, but yeah. a lot of people deal with it differently. But I also find it funny. Right. Yeah, you, do, you <laughs> have a great sense of humor about your whole... Like, I remember reading something about your your experience in the hospital, and they were like, even when you had to deal with like what must have been the most traumatic thing in the mm. world, there was still comedy in there. And that's the best comedy. Yeah. And it was so... It was but it's still realist, Weirdly too, right? rewarding. Those moments were weirdly yeah. rewarding. And I also feel it's like you're pushing your the edges of your humanity. So, you know, there's this Jewish concept that you're we're made of uh, something called Yetzer Tov and Yetzer which is good and evil inclination. So we have this extreme continuum of who we are and what we're capable of in our darkness and our light and our light. So here you are in the darkest situation, and I can feel everybody's just despair mm -hmm. in these moments. Despair of life and death, of a child. Mm -hmm. and it's around you. It, well, it's yeah. around me, and it's, it's literally yeah. happening to my child. Yeah. And so in this moment, there was one moment where I just realized, if I make a joke right now, it's going to fucking kill. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it needed, you know, the joke needed to be made. Yeah. And the moment needed to be broken so that then we could feel deeper. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think partly, yeah, I think sometimes to get, it's like the, the movie Inside Out, like I felt like that was so much about you can't get to the happy unless you go through the dark and you Agreed, mel yeah. meld them. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I felt in that situation that in order to get through it, I couldn't feel mostly what I, what, was, what I was seeing and what mm -hmm. was happening. So in moments of laughter, when everyone's taking a breath, then you can feel it yeah. for a second. Yeah. And you can feel it together. Yeah, it's also, we need a break too, right? If you just keep going down, we'll never get back up. That's right. Do you remember the joke in the hospital? Oh, uh, yeah. There were two. There was one where we were sitting. Um, my So it was a terrible situation for my son, and it was a real life and death situation, and we did not know how he was going to get through. Yeah. How old is he now? He is 10. He's superhero, right? He's Fucking super ridiculous, good. and so is his brother. Yeah. And uh, we—he was just in this terrible, precarious, unknown situation. And so the whole team had to get together: dietitians and surgeons, and and neonatologists, and nurse practitioners, and everybody on his team, mm -hmm. physiotherapists, everybody, and I'm like everybody on the team, and just like, go, what are we going to do with this kid? And they were talking about him, and they referred to my partner Janice and me as Janice and Denise. They kept saying, the, the one guy who was on rotation, who was the head neonatologist, they would rotate in and out every two weeks. Yeah. He kept referring to us as Janice and Denise, Janice and Denise. And I could see, I could feel the room. Everyone's getting really uncomfortable yeah. with Janice and Denise. <laughs> and finally, I turned to her and I said, I said, who the hell is Denise? Now's not the time to have an affair. <laughs> right. And everybody cracked up. Right. They just yeah. lost it and they were laughing their heads off. And he was really embarrassed because... It was so stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the thing that I remember from that story is that everybody laughed, and I laughed, and then 
they kept talking about him. Yeah. And then I suddenly started to cry and I couldn't stop and I had to leave the room. Yeah. But you do... Such a release yeah. though, right? Thank God for those moments. Like, I mean, we've all had the word like, I just need to cry right now. Yeah. I need it so that it's not going to come out when I watch oh, a commercial you, about you, something. You know what was the worst one though? This is actually a better one, I think, in terms of what you're talking about. So Johnny had had this horrible, spontaneous bowel perforation. I was holding him and we... How old is he? He's, at that point, he was three and a half months. And we and we, and he, we start, he turned gray. We started to lose him. Everybody rushes in, like a the, like a flock of birds. They take him. They start trying to revive him. And at the same time, my other son Eli had arrived with my parents. So he's in the social worker's office, Eli, and Johnny is in emergency, mm-hmm. like in the ICU. And I am running back and forth between the social worker's office talking to Eli about how maybe we, you could have a great sleepover at Southern Safta's house and my parents' house, and then running back. To deal with the situation, oh then running God. back to Eli, and then running back, and I'm just my face. I'm, you know, te- I'm trying to keep it together and pulling it together for, for one Eli. kid, yeah. and then just being there for the other kid. And the nurse practitioner turned to me and she said, "I just have no idea how you did this. Like, how how are you able to do this? Go from one situation, be cheerful for Eli, and do that." And I said, "Have you Googled me? <laughs> do you have I any do. idea?" <laughs> What a great actor I am. I've been nominated Apparently, for many awards. For such plays as... <laughs> Here's my resume. Have you ever heard of my great work? Did she laugh? At Buddies and Bad Times when it was a gas station. Um, she laughed her head off. Oh, and it was like a great... Because it's worse if they don't laugh. And they're like, come on, come with me. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was a real moment. Yeah. And a funny moment. Yeah. I had, I had to do an operation once I had... Um, an operation on my ankle and the doctor undid the bandage and he looked and he went oh that's disgusting oh no I was so happy though I was so happy because somebody had made a joke and it had been so serious up until then so and I was like you're right yeah that's tricky I mean as you have progressed through your career it feels like you have been like You've opened the doors to different communities, like the gay and lesbian community, and welcome, Diane Flax. Yeah. This is where you belong. Right. And then um, the the gay parent community, mm-hmm. like every single time that you've kind of embraced, but also become a spokesperson. Like, I know mm-hmm. you speak a lot on mm-hmm. behalf of gay parents. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that has influenced not only your career from your perspective as a creator, but as somebody giving you work? It's interesting, because I feel like somebody said to me, I'm trying to remember who it was, said... Uh, it was Fab, Fab Filippo. He said to me, "You're a, I consider you an activist artist, mm. which I love it when people, you know, when you like when people say, what do you see? Yeah. I don't know. What do, let's, what do you, <laughs> enough about me, what do you think of me? That's right. Thing, yes, right? yes. Um, and, and I thought that was really, uh, like it was a nice thing to hang on to. Yeah. Because it feels authentic to me. Yeah. Sometimes I speak about biomedical ethics, and I really like that. Yeah. Because, because of things that I, I really believe in passionately, I think could speak to like what do you speak on that i i talk about you know the notion that that like stuff that you see on tv like an ambulance driver or a firefighter has to be this tough compartmentalized person yeah because if they feel anything they will fall apart and i actually think it's the opposite Mm -hmm. i think in a medical crisis the more human the person is who's confronting you in your crisis, or, your, or you as a parent of a child in crisis, yeah. actually the better they're going to be in the long run, and the better you're going to be. Yeah. So the it's question... It's just exhausting, right? I, I think it's less exhausting. You think? And I think we expect that... We are, we're willing to accept our medical 
practitioners being not humane and being distant and detached. And I think we don't, we should not accept that. And we should expect them to actually address us by name and call our child by their name. Oh, yeah. And I think we should expect them to feel for us, to suffer with us. Right. Not to lose themselves, but to, you know, be able to say, this is sad. I don't know how I could do that being that job, though. I think it's the opposite, though. I think I we wonder. expect I that because of, you know, our culture, where we see these male heroes who have to be so tough where they're going to well, crash. Well, or female. I mean, I had or a female. female nurse that was just tough as nails. And but I love the tough as nails, but you're also, you, I think we can expect them to be, to be empathetic to a degree. Why do you think people have shut down so much? I think they're allowed to. I think it's easier to And shut I'm not down. just saying in the medical, like I think in the world. It's a great question. I think, you know, when I see my kid, kids sometimes watch these uh, fail videos what on YouTube. No, right? I'm sorry, oh, you've lost on. me. Well, so I don't watch anything fail, negative. Go on. <laughs> there's these fail videos where you can watch people fall down. Oh, yeah, okay, right? sure. And sometimes it's really funny, but often they're falling on their tailbones. Yeah, you know, and hurting boards, themselves. Or old people falling down. And, I, and, you know, even though it does make me giggle, just right. <laughs> it's also horrific. Right. And there's... And but I think they're just seeing it as funny. Right. And so there's a huge desensitization going on. Yeah. But yeah. But I think when something hits them personally, they can snap back into being human beings. Yeah. But there's a lot of pressure on us to desensitize. Right. So you're bringing these two little men up mm-hmm. in this world. And do you find yourself going, I got to, of course you do, you're a mom. But like, what are you doing to train them to be more sensitive or train them to be more equal like do you see any of gender issues with what it's they weird, deal with because i don't train them like i feel like they well, just I guess you train are. them just by being at home yeah right? yeah. Uh, yeah i think they just are and i think that luckily luckily the default for both of them ha- has been to be kind yeah and so that's lucky i don't have to i don't have to work on that yeah and but then, again i think that's home i don't think they would be kind without having kindness around yes, them yes but i also feel like that's how they came into the world like johnny was born happy Right. He was born happy. People would come to his hospital, to the hospital room that he was in, just to be around him. Yeah. Because he had this happiness. And Eli was 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 born engaged and, and dynamic. Yeah. And interested in experience. Yeah. It was not, it was who they were in the world and maybe we made space for them. But I think they, we were lucky to have kids whose default set is empathy, is kindness. Yeah. And I think a lot of times with boys... It's the world that toughens them up. And you watch it happening. It's devastating. But I also think, you know, they have to negotiate the world too, right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully you can give them tools. I just read this great book called Raising Human Beings. It's, it's like a Harvard psychologist, Ross Green is his name. And it's all about trying to get your kids to, to offset the kind of mad Trump cheering, Ford tr- cheering yeah. kind of people that think it's hilarious. Yeah. To be able to be human beings in the world, to have other skills besides burning people, like yeah. Know. But how do you navigate all? Okay, as not only an artist but as a mom, like how do you navigate all that influence that's coming into your home? It's a tough one because I don't police them. No, like we don't police. But them. you can't like constantly be going. Let's have a debrief about that. Did you see that Trump you quote? Can't, you can't because they can also they also like know what you're doing. They're like, right. are, you, are you trying to be a therapist? Right. But we do. <laughs> we will talk about it. Yeah. And. If they're if they're curious, then that helps. Right. I think I think we're lucky that they're empathetic to each other. So then, if one of them is hurt, the other one feels bad. Yeah. And and I think it's all about empathy. Like it's all about finding a way to get them to get how much it hurts to hurt someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I think it does hurt us. Oh yeah. 
I don't think we are. I mean, I think that force of darkness that's out there in the world, the Trumpness and the Fordness and all that stuff is, it, it is one side of us, but it's not necessarily, you know, it's so exotic, power is so exotic, and so it just draws you in magnetically. But it isn't, it doesn't have to be the one that wins. It doesn't have no. to be the most attractive one. But how, how do you make sense of it all? Like, like with the Trump stuff that comes in, how do you go, like, where do you put that in your creative rage that you've got in you? Well, I think, don't you, I don't know, maybe, I read this study that, like, people like, like Mike Harris, you know, or Rob, that there's a sort of, or Harper, these authoritarian figures that for some of us, you look at them and you have a visceral, physiological response mm -hmm. of skeeviness. And get me away from that. Mm -hmm. But for some people in the world, that kind of authoritarian authoritarian bully actually makes them feel comfortable. Right. And so they're drawn to that person. And, and whether they they don't even have to hear the policies, they don't have to listen, they don't have to argue. It just is a it's a physiological response mm -hmm. to authority. And I think that can be changed over time. I think it's like it is comfortable because it's what we grew a lot of people grew up with. Mm -hmm. And it's what you know, it's what God is supposed to be. So we're all supposed to feel comfortable with that. But I think most of us actually don't. But do you walk around with a soapbox under your arm and be like, I'm going to talk to you now about what Trump said? Or do you... I don't because enough people do it. You or, yeah, right? So well. Yeah. Um, but I think it comes out. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it comes out in, you know, little ways of things that I do or you do or we say. You just can't help it. It's in the pop culture. You you respond to it. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know. I... I have to be careful not to be too soapy. So yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Like with all, so you just said you just were reading a book, which astounds me because I feel like you're constantly creating. <laughs> I feel like you're always you've got three plays on the go, two but scripts. You know that and, how it is, right? Like people see that from the outside, but they, yeah. you don't know because you wouldn't know about the eight months of. I'm in development with <laughs> eight months is nothing. I've heard of eight years for so, sure. Yeah, for sure. yeah, easily. When you go on a holiday, quote unquote, are you no? I still? don't. I love being in. I like to be out in nature and like stacking wood and stuff like yeah. that. Like I can do that, but I, it's very hard to me for like, me. Like, would to it be torture to, for me to put you in on a beach somewhere with at an all inclusive where Wi-Fi isn't accessible? Is that torture? It's not torture, but it would be. It would be. I would be needing. Like some people can stare into nature yeah. or the distance yeah. or the beach. I find that I find this beautiful, like Shavasana. I like to do the yoga. I like to do the more hard power yoga. Right. Yeah. But then I don't want to do the Shavasana. I've done enough. I yeah. don't want to lie down for five minutes and think about it. Wrap it up. Yeah. yeah, we're yeah. done. Yeah. <laughs> this is an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you, so like, how do you refuel? Uh, I'm just wearing myself down to a nub. Yeah. And then you're like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> and then I'll just die. I'm just in the corner. <laughs> if you find me in a corner, then that's what I need but to do. But do you feel. find that? I, I, I always think that like you don't change unless you're back into a wall of razor blades and there's a river of chocolate that you can jump into. Oh. Then you will change. Yeah. So I will refuel when I crash. Right. <laughs> like I'm not good at that. So what's your version of crashing? How do you know that you're like tapped out? Sick. Up? Yeah. Um, uh, um depressed yeah <laughs> uh, yeah so exhausted also there's a there's a level this is terrible but it's true there's a level of kind of i'm learning how to do this now i'm learning how to do it at this late juncture of gosh life. like let's hope that we're always learning something yeah to try and actually stop and refuel but i think also 
Before you're forced to. Before I'm desperately forced mm-hmm. to, yeah. I, I think you, like I, I had a surgery a few years ago. It was the first time I ever had surgery. And I was like kind of gleefully anticipating it because my son had had six, six surgeries yeah. at this point. And I just really wanted to, I felt like, God damn it, I, I want to feel what he's feeling. I want to take one for the team. I, w- I, want, I want things to happen to me so they don't happen to him. It was kind of this weird logic like, okay, if, if I'm going to have a surgery, then he won't have to have another one. Right, yeah. Which did not happen because he did have to have another one. But uh, I, uh, so I was, I kind of loved it because when I was recovering, I watched like seasons of things on Netflix. Right. I did nothing. And I just lay there and yeah. kind of read and watched TV, and it was fantastic. Yeah, so you just need a good surgery. I to need a recruit, good anesthetic. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> just a good old sickness. Yeah. So, is there anything that is on your um, plate that you're uh, longing to do more of? Oh, that's that you question. haven't had a chance to do yet? That's a great question. I, I would like to be acting more, I think, eventually. And I just want to work. Maybe, yeah. and I'm sure you feel this too. I just want to fucking be working as but much as I as I can. Do you want to just work, or do you want to work on meaningful? It, it kind of has to be for me, or else I stink. No, for meaningful. Like, do you want to just? Because I'm sure you could work doing a day here and a day there, and no. Does that does it, that appeal to you? It, it appeals to me because of money. Sure, sure. <laughs> and it appeals to me because I won't say no. But and I would love to be working with different people, and there's always meaning to be made from something, even mm-hmm. if it doesn't feel. But I'm not as good. Like, I realize I'm just not, I'm just lame when I'm doing stuff that is, that doesn't have a meatiness to it. Yeah. That I'm as, I'm, I'm lamer than you can imagine. Yeah. So I wouldn't hire me. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> but it doesn't feel, it feels like all the projects you've done have such meaning. And it's interesting. I don't know if what's the chicken or the egg for me yeah. is whether it's because I've chosen or it's because that's where I, that's the work that comes to me because the other shit. I feel so I'm lucky. Yeah. You know, I'm lucky that I've gotten to be able. To, I am so lucky that not I've been gotten to be able to say things. People still seem to want to hear it, mm-hmm. and there's still things. I mean, there's n- no end to things that are outrageous that we yeah. need to that we need to all experience, and it's getting. It, I mean, it's why it's so great to watch you guys live because there is nothing like that like we cannot there's no the kind of like when i watch you guys i giggle like a like a maniac that's lovely you you tickle every part of me like the my brain and my heart and everything and and i can't i find it so funny in a way that nothing that we can see on a screen or read on a screen or read in a book is going to make us laugh or make us feel yeah and and it don't and i don't know if you feel this you must feel it that we have to have those moments because as a culture we're just getting more and more isolated and more removed from each other yeah so we need those events like what you guys do you know yeah and for myself too like don't you i mean that's why we spin these plates because i want to do a little bit of that a little bit of that and as you said now you're longing to be doing some acting because you it's unbalanced for you yeah is there anything else that you're like um, that's not acting that you're you crave trying or doing you know I would love to do more radio I have to say yeah because I do I have some. this column and and I just I love it and I love how you'll get it you know a, a tweet or a text from somebody across the country yeah you, you you had no idea was sitting there going I am not pleased with this thing that you said <laughs> and you love it <laughs> kind of amazing yeah so um, I love how did that you know, come about the radio stuff that you've been doing I was um, I think I maybe did something for Definitely not the opera. I did an event with Suki and Lee many years ago, yeah. and we were friends. And uh, I guess she, maybe she asked me to do something on DNTO to speak about something for like a minute. 
And then if I was doing a bunch of them, and then the people who were doing the parenting, there's a syndicated national parenting columnist, and they were done. And I can see how easy it would be to be burnt out by yeah. it. And they were looking for somebody, you know, who might be funny. And um, and then I just started doing it. And it's yeah. been like six years. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. And it's, of course, all I want to do is talk about my kids. So, you know. Well, I know, but that's where it starts, right? And as you said, you're going to get a whole world of people going, that's like me, that's like me, and that's the most rewarding yeah. thing in the world. And I think, too, and you know, for me to take on the role of kind of hapless boob yeah. as a parent, like, yeah. I, 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 I but think do you about feel, it deeply, do you but think I, you I think are? That I will, for sure. Even now, what is it, how old is Eli, 12? He's 14. 14. I think I'm really pretty good at it, yeah. but I... But I I do feel quite confident as a parent, but yeah. I, but I also know that there's minefields everywhere, and that you have to keep an open mind and think of yourself as completely mistake prone. Yeah, because it's a journey that there's no roadmap, you know. And I think it's also people relate to. There's so much judgment. Yeah. About everything that we do, and certainly as a mother, it's this. It's mother judging is like an art. Do you see yourself, your mom, in you? Of course, like the feministic part too. Yes, yeah. for sure. I, every so often, my son will say to me, "Can you not ugh?" Because we'll sit there watching TV, <laughs> and I'll be watching something. And I'm just ugh. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> I, love I just that. can't. Uh, I really try not to push this shit on him, but I can't yeah. help it. Like every so often, I'll just say something, and then you hear it from them, or my little one will say, "I don't mean to be." I know that there are uh, that it's not a girl thing to like uh, to like Shopkins, but it seems that the girls in my class like it, and I don't like it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. <laughs> it's a girl thing. And I'm like, honey, it's just okay. okay. It's so totally a girl yeah. thing. Like, <laughs> oh, it must be hard though. Like social media affects me so negatively, but then to watch these two so much better little brains. Are, but even like, don't you see? Like, I don't know. I this is my my least favorite thing is when I see. A girl or a woman um, being uh, sexy versus funny. No, it's awful. And I'm like, oh choose, God. choose funny. Choose funny because that's really sexy. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. I feel so much easier for them as a mom of boys than if I had a girl because I see the girls yeah. who are there. Who anyway, my eldest sons, who you know, girls who came to his bar mitzvah, and I was like, who are these? Who are these? <laughs> <laughs> what? The? They're just in the looking two to dresses and the and the heels. I know. You know, and he, they know. can wear suits and look. Friggin' or, or just even like nice shirts and pants and look great. Yeah, and then the they ladies. They wear sweatshirts and hoodies, and the girls are wearing these really provocative. Can you imagine? I couldn't have Did done Did you it ever that. do that? No! Okay, my worst was I remember vividly coming. My mom used to have, um, my mom and dad used to have parties for his students, his chemistry students, mm. and I would come downstairs and I'd pull my shirt off my shoulder like in flash <laughs> dance. dance I and then I would t- push my hair like this, <laughs> sort of like all sassy. And I remember coming downstairs and I must have looked atrocious mm-hmm. and my mom looked at me and went back upstairs <laughs> <I'm> like, okay <laughs> like I just but you change it up we but we could wear like I would totally do the flash dance sweatshirt yeah. as well but these girls have to wear tight things yeah I had like little tummy I was a little chubby right I can't believe oh that. my god totally like chubby with a little belly and 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 but like I could not have pulled any of this off yeah what I would have done to have pulled had to pull this off that the girls are wearing <laughs> no it just was, doesn't Although appeal to me. You can't run. You can't run. Yeah, and you can't kick, which I think are two important things <laughs> to do as a kid. Um, but what would you say, like, to your to your younger self? Like, what would you have told as a lesson that you've learned now? You know, it is that Margaret Atwood thing that she does say, 
remember like she does say that remember that you are beautiful you actually we see you as beautiful you are beautiful mm-hmm. and you are um valuable and don't let them take it away from you don't let them tell you differently mm-hmm. i i would maybe say to my younger self i might not have smoked as much <laughs> when i was no i'm kidding i actually didn't smoke that much while. i i I, I, I would I would have said please be braver mm. please be braver like, like what happened to stop that bravery I would and I would say to myself now like just there's things that are frightening yeah. that are scary or that I, I would be hard you know you, you, and you're not this way and I, I can see this when I see you on stage you're not a, maybe you are in life a pleaser but I think I, I really was yeah and it, I was too afraid to to take risks personally i could do it on stage in to a degree Mm -hmm. but i think as a person i would say especially young women just try to be be braver be be more open yeah where do you think we get that from though like that's a thing saying hey be more confident right right like where do you where did you get your bravery from i don't know how much bravery i I have i think I, i sometimes have bravery out of lack of choice right but I guess part of where I feel it now is that you are, get to an age where you've survived enough stuff that if you're lucky that mm-hmm. and I've seen enough suffering that I realize it's part of humanity to suffer like it really actually is mm-hmm. it's part of what we're supposed to do so you might as well get through it mm-hmm. you have two choices you can go forward or you can stop mm-hmm. and stopping is worse mm-hmm. I think that's great. That's great. I, I think these conversations are going to be so important for people to hear. Like, I think the challenge to be braver is something that uh, I have in my... I can see that. I have it constantly. Yeah. Get Like, I play the you never know card a lot. Mm. And I play the, what the fuck, let's just do this card a lot. Because um, the alternative is so unattractive to me. And I feel too like I re- I had to have it hammered into me in the most profound way to mm-hmm. understand truly that we really do only have one life and yeah. and you you it's only now yeah and you got that from Johnny I got it from Johnny because I used to be so afraid that something bad was going to happen to yeah. my son like I would have these nightmares to for my first son that he was going to get lost that he was going to get swept away in a water that, yeah. that there would be I'd leave him in the supermarket and all the I'd leave him on the top of the car like yeah. I just had these nightmares all the time that something was going to happen to him and it was really stopping me it was yeah. really affecting me and then with my second son not only did something happen that was completely random yeah. but when we were at sick kids for the year I mean people like it's completely random why do kids get cancer? Why do kids have anorexia? Like you just yeah. heart conditions. But and why does anybody get cancer? Like I don't go. You deserve cancer. You know what I mean? Nobody <laughs> yeah. deserves illness. Not even Rob Ford. But you know, because it happens so randomly to people, and there's nothing we can do about it. No. And there's and there's no reason that Especially it's brought a baby, on. Baby, like Jesus. Right. Yeah. So you just there's a point that for me was I was finally able in my kind of stubborn way to go. Oh, there's no. There's no reason. Yeah. There's no... You can make meaning from it, but there's no reason for it. Yeah. So you might as well just take risks. Yeah. You know? I love it. Yeah. Might as fucking well. Yeah. What's your next risk? I think my next risk is actually to be in my own play. The I haven't done one. a lot. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm very nervous about it. I'm excited because I'm surrounded by great people. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, but I am nervous. Yeah, yeah. good for you. I'm excited to see it. I think you're awesome. I think you're awesome. I do. I just I I'm so inspired from watching what you do, and I, I I do think you have such depth to everything you do that I I uh, I get inspired by that. Well, you inspire me too. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> boom, boom! Boom! Fireworks! Fireworks! <laughs> that's great. And that's Diane Flax. I just I, I love her. I listened to this um, episode again. And um, the just the discussion's so full of joy and um, potential. Like it just makes me want to get up and create something. Which reminds me, hey, what are you creating these days? Give me a little tweet or message me and let me know what you're working on these days. I'd love to see it. I'd love to hear about it if it's a piece of music or something like that. I love the discussion that's happening with Firecracker Department so far, and uh, please continue it. You are part of the department, and you are part of the conversation, and so um, let this inspiration reverberate. Like Dan Flax, that conversation inspires me, and I've listened to it several times now, and it still does. Uh, follow her and find out what she's going to do next, at Diane Flax, that's her Twitter handle, and um, yeah, see what she's doing. And while you're at it, follow us. Twitter, Instagram, at Firecracker Department, Firecracker D-E-P-T. Uh, go check out our website. See the past episodes and let me know what you think. Maybe do a little doodle of one of my past guests and uh, send it my way and I'll post it on our website. Tell me what you're inspired by. I'm also, here's another thing I'm doing these days, listening to a great podcast. Now this is a podcast that a lot of people have heard about these days, but I'm going to just give it a little plug because if you haven't heard about it it's great it's called s-town or shit town and you can get it on itunes and it's just great it's great storytelling it's great journalism the characters are so beautiful and they're so tragic and funny and everything and the their voices are so authentic you're just gonna get wrapped up wrapped up into it i loved it so much i went ahead in episodes and my husband Matt Barham and left him behind so um, I was listening way ahead in the episodes which as you know if you are in any kind of relationship it's kind of a no-no but I couldn't help it it was so good oh it's good I'm gonna go listen to an episode right now all right tell me what you're inspired by follow us on Twitter and Facebook and everything else join the discussion and don't forget the last Sunday of every month we're gonna go Facebook live and we're gonna have a discussion with you past present future firecrackers about what inspires them all right go on out there put your face in the Sun and enjoy your day thanks for listening everybody